This is the GOAT Level Podcast with your host, the GOAT, the legend, the hero, Van Pugh. Praise God. I'm back. I'm back again. Um, Probably should have did this episode a while ago. Like, probably should have did this episode about two days ago. But, hey, I'm here now. I'm here now. I don't know what's going on with this audio, but <laughs> I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. Anyway, draft NFL draft rounds two through seven. So I did a whole episode on round one. Now, round two was interesting because the receivers started going. Like, more of them started going. T. Higgins went first pick. To the Bengals. The Bengals pick first in every round, which you don't really see anymore. You only see that on Madden. <laughs> but um, KJ Hamler went, which honestly, he idolized Deshaun Jackson and he went to Penn State. I feel like the Eagles should have took him. Uh, Mims went. The Packers probably should have took him. But those guys went to other teams. And who did the Eagles take instead? Jalen Hurts. And when they took him, I was pumped. I was hyped. I wasn't even thinking about the ramifications behind it. I wasn't even thinking, oh, man, the Eagles shouldn't have did this. Like, they have bigger needs. What are they doing? I wasn't thinking about that. I was just so happy that Jalen Hurts went from my favorite college team to my favorite pro team. Jalen Hurts, I was kind of iffy about him. I, you know, I didn't mind him. I didn't mind him at all. And I just like how he handled the Tua situation. And I like how he came in for Tua the very next year against Georgia and got him to the national championship. I always liked that. When he came to OU, just like everybody else, I was like, why would you transfer here? Like, why? But I think this one makes more sense than Colin Murray and Baker Mayfield. That one made more sense. But anyway, enough of that. He's with the Eagles. I truly believe that the Eagles could have took a DB... Like, okay, once the hype settled down, like, most Eagles fans don't like this pick. Most people that aren't Eagles fans don't like this pick. Because you spend the second-round pick on Carson's replacement, and you just pay Carson Wentz a lot of money, but you don't get him any weapons, you don't give him a defense that can help him. I know how it looks. But I'm just so invested in Jalen. After Jalen Hurts, had that game against Baylor, I was all on the bandwagon. Like, I was on the bandwagon pretty much after he posted that, they posted that workout video of him doing squats. And it just seems like he was a leader from day one. But after that Baylor game, it went to another level. It went from, my fandom went from, oh, he's our quarterback. You know, of course I'm going to ride for him to, Man, anything he do from now on, I'ma love I'ma love it. <laughs> so he's the backup quarterback for the Eagles. Perfect backup quarterback. I love it. 
I don't know how they're going to use them. My best bet is I really hope they use him as a backup quarterback. He sits there and he learns from Carson Wentz for a few years. And I guess Carson Wentz' contract is up in about five years. Maybe he just steps in. Nah, that's too late. But maybe, you know, if Carson gets hurt, he'll step in and he do his thing. Or, you know, if Carson is healthy, then maybe after a few years, he replaces him. Or maybe we trade him to another team after we develop him and he does well somewhere else. Hopefully not in the division. That's what I'm hoping. If they use him as a running back and a receiver, nah, I don't really want to see that. But if he gets on the field that way, that's fine. As long as he's being productive and he's helping the team. Unlike most Eagles fans, I'm cool with the pick. I'm cool. I love Carson, sure. But it's Jalen Hurts, man. I love Jalen Hurts, too. I'm a fan of both guys, and they both are in the same QB room, and I am ecstatic. In a perfect world, like I said, Carson Wentz does his thing, get us another Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts learns, gets better, develops, and then maybe we trade him or maybe he becomes starting quarterback. Yeah, and the Packers, not about the Eagles, the Packers took a running back. That's even worse. They got Aaron Jones. Now, sure, maybe you need a short yardage back or maybe you need a change of pace back. A second rounder, though? All those linebackers and all those receivers and the Packers, Packers fans wanted a receiver. Now, mind you, there is free agency and maybe they can get a receiver off free agency and then they didn't draft a receiver, by the way. Maybe they can get one of these undrafted free agents. Or maybe they're just happy with what they got. I don't know. It looks bad on paper. It really does. The Eagles drafted a lot of speed, which kind of made up for, you know, the first three, first two days of draft picks. Um, speed on defense, speed at receiver. I get it. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Can they run routes? Can they make tough catches? Can they catch the ball? Like, that's the main thing. Can they catch the ball? Because that's what we've had problems with the last few years is just a lot of balls hit the ground. Now, we'll see. Uh, the Redskins got Sadiq Charles and traded Trent Williams. Sadiq Charles is, he got suspended for, like, substance abuse and apparently it was weed. If that's all he did, then he's not a character issue at all. He'll be fine. I think, you know, you get the veterans around him and, you get him on the straight and narrow, and he does his thing. He could easily start for the Redskins after Donald Penn. Like, maybe he sit a year behind Donald Penn and Morgan Moses, and he learns behind them, and he steps in there as soon as one of them leaves or retire, and boom, you good. It's just He's just another person from the LSU team who had 14 players drafted, the most out of any team, and the second team close to that was Michigan with 10. I think Ohio State had 10. That's crazy. Like, it's just, it just adds to the accolade, accolade of uh, LSU. They won all those games. They blew all these teams out and they won all these top 10 games. Just the, just the rewards and the accolades just continue to pour 
it's like when you're great and when you're great and especially all-time great man the blessings that follow being all-time great is just your cup runneth over <laughs> like it says on the bible and it's just just continues the victory parade continues and they're not even playing anymore i'm looking at the numbers for the rest of the draft the 63 sec players drafted 64 last year big 10 at 48 pac 12 at 32 acc 27 big 12 21 aac 17 the big 12 which houses ou in texas they only have four more than the aac and I think, honestly, Clemson had a good chunk of the ACC's pick. But that's neither here or there. That's crazy. That doesn't look good for recruiting. But OU figure it out. It's Oklahoma. The tradition is crazy. What they've done lately, despite getting blown out by LSU, is crazy. It's crazy. They'll be fine. I think they'll be fine. Tradition, good coaching, good recruiting will win out at the end of the day i look at overall you know i like to drive i watched a lot of it i gonna spend too much time on it but uh the cowboys draft looks very good on paper they got bradley and i they got cd lamb trayvon diggs neville gallimore who's a sooner they got all of these guys they got reggie robinson they got the center from wisconsin who that was the eagles pick I thought they were going to pick him, but I guess they weren't interested. So they traded it to the Cowboys, and the Cowboys got him. Wow. That's just, it, it looks bad, but you got to just trust the front office and trust that they know what they're doing if you're an Eagles fan. It's just what it is. The Ravens look good, too. They got Patrick Queen from LSU. They got Dobbins. They got uh, Matt Bouquet and Duvernay, who was first team all big 12 you know they they got a little squad too but the colts the colts got michael pittman from usc they got jonathan taylor they got jacob eason the panthers got all defense got Derek brown and matos gross thing about the panthers is drafting all defense and then drafting two staples on the defensive line is They'll give the teams in the NFC South fits, especially when their quarterbacks retire. Once their quarterbacks retire, they're really going to wreak havoc by build, when they build that defense. They're really going to wreak havoc and cause a lot of problems. I like where they're going. They're going the complete opposite of everybody else in that division, which is smart. It, it, it sounds smart, but let's see how it looks on the field. Let's see if these guys in Carolina know how to coach. And know how to scheme. We'll see. Because this ain't college. Joe Brady and coach from Baylor, Matt Rule. It's not college. It's not college. So hopefully the learning curve isn't that steep for them. And they ball out. The Eagles, so as far as undrafted free agents. You got Parnell Martley and you got Moss. You got, uh, I knew the Eagles weren't going to pick up Moss. The Redskins picking up Moss makes a lot of sense because, you know, they just let go Jordan Reed and so they're trying to, and Vernon Davis, so they're trying to see what they got at tight end. So I guess there's more competition at the position. Listen, no one's really high on Moss Jr. He's like, he's just Randy Moss, son. He's not that good. But I know what I saw in that field. 
against Clemson and OU, he was a matchup problem at some times. So if he can do what he did then, I think he'll be fine. We'll see. It's just how much he wants it, how much he wants to be in the league. That's that's what it come down to. Um, the Eagles, instead of signing Motley, they signed a smaller corner from Baylor, who was also all Big 12. He's 5'9". He's number one from Baylor. He's solid, but I'd much rather have Parnell Motley. We'll see, because every time I single out an undrafted free agent like Clement, I laughed because I thought he wasn't going to make the team. I thought he wasn't going to make OU. I was like, he's the backup running back for Wisconsin, and they had a massive offensive line. He got to be overrated. Little did I know, he's better than I thought he was. I thought Roy Finch should have been on a Patriots over James White. Then I watched one game, and I was like, yeah, James White needs to be on the team over Roy Finch. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm wrong about this 5'9 corner from Baylor. You know, we'll see. That's his name. I think his last name is Arnold. The reason why the Eagles like him because he's positionless. And you got Jalen Mills moving to safety. They like players like that to be in their secondary. And I don't blame them. So, you know, take it. I, you know, I'll take it. I mean, we'll see what he can do. I don't know if he's going to make the team or not. I think he is. But, you know, we'll see. Basically, these drafts look good and bad on paper. But you don't know, man. You don't know how these guys are going to mix in. You don't know how good these guys are. You don't know how they're going to fit into the scheme. We'll see. Cowboys look good on paper, but they get on the field and look like trash. It won't matter. We'll see. Now, we'll see. Um, another thing is TCU, Baylor, and OU make up most of the Big 12's draft picks. Just like Ohio State and Michigan make up most of the Big 10's draft picks. Like, the SEC got, like, multiple people with at least five. The SEC has got to be stopped. But someone tweeted, a Texas fan tweeted, that these things go in cycle because OU and Texas dominated 2000 to 2010. So maybe in the next decade, people will start spreading out or going somewhere else. Like, maybe they'll come back to the Big 12. It's wishful thinking, but we'll see. Uh, I just I just enjoyed the draft. And, of course, the mystery relevant was the SEC player, which is fitting because they dominated the draft. It's, it's fitting. Of course. Of course, Mr. Irrelevant was an SEC player. Of course he was. It is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, we'll see how this plays out. I can't wait till the schedule come out. But what does it matter if the season gets delayed or even canceled? I still want to see it, though. <laughs> now, the last dance. The last dance. Loved it. Loved it, episode three and four. The little hint we got was that Dennis Rodman was going to be featured in it. He was. He definitely was. <laughs> Of course, it talked about the Bulls. You know, this documentary barely covers the 98 season. If you want more of the 98 season, I think you should look at uh, the little IMAX documentary that MJ did about the 98 Bulls. To the max. Yeah, I watched that documentary so many times as a kid. I'm not even joking. 
So they lost to the Pacers in 98. They're still in November-ish. They're still struggling. Still no Scottie Pippen. Jordan is tired at this point of asking about or being asked about Scottie Pippen. Then they skip after talking about some in-between stuff, the stuff that happened before, way before the 98 season. They skipped to the All-Star season, to the All-Star game, and then miraculously, they go from 8-7 and seven to 33-13. and 13. I'm like, dang, they went on a little run. I don't know what they did in December or Jan- in January, but they went on a tear. Maybe they got Scotty back. Maybe they didn't. But their record by the All-Star break was crazy. And some of them teams at the top, I'm like, the Spurs. I ain't see the Jazz. The Spurs, the Pacers, the Pacers had a pretty good team. Um, no, actually, I think the Bulls had 15 losses. It was the Pacers that was 33 and 13. Unbelievable. So other than that, other than the 98 season, which they barely covered, talked about 87. Talked about Jordan was going off. They talked about, okay, they're done with the Celtics. Now it's time to talk about how to how they matched up against the Pistons for three straight years. And we hear this all the time about how Jordan three straight years lost to the Pistons. It's part of the story. It's part of the the Michael Jordan story. You're going to hear it anytime you talk about Michael Jordan and Limp. You got to talk about the Pistons. Bad Boy Pistons were tough. The Bulls had no answer for them. I, I like how they talked about the series with the Cavs, a series that they were the underdogs and they were picked to lose. Even the Chicago Riders picked them to lose to Cleveland. And if you look at some of them games, they were close. But I think the Bulls winning game one was the key. That was the key. Them winning game one was the key for them to set the tone and make it a dogfight of a series. And it came down to like the last minutes. And I've seen that 89 game five Cavs and Bulls plenty of times especially when I was younger oh I like how they mentioned in game four how Jordan missed a free throw to like tie the game or to make it a one score game and of course you know people who don't like Jordan or tired of hearing about Jordan or who LeBron fans over Jordan of course they was like oh you don't talk about that don't talk about those free throws Listen, a lot of people probably said they were going to lose Game 5 at Richfield Coliseum, rightfully so. But they didn't because, well, after they gave up that layup to Craig Elo, which I don't understand how they let them execute that, um, Jordan took the inbound. And y'all know the shot over Elo, but Ron Harper was like, man, because everyone knew Ron Harper knew, Michael Jordan knew that Harper did a better job on Jordan. But thank, thankfully for history, he didn't. And Ron Harper was mad. He wanted to check him. Yeah, they kind of brushed past the little Knicks thing. They, they beat the Knicks as usual. I don't know why they don't match up well with the Bulls. Who knows? You know, who, who knows? Uh, the Knicks were second seed and... The Bulls killed them. Other than game two, the Bulls kind of dominated that series. And then, of course, they lost to the Pistons. After winning game one, they lost four of the next five. Um, 
it's just the 89's Pistons. That was the peak of the bad boys. Good on both sides of the ball. They beat everybody. The only, they only lost, what, three games in the playoffs? And two of them was to Chicago? They only lost three games in the playoffs. Weren't beating them that season. The next season, the 1990, that's when... So you talk about a little bit about Doug Collins, and Doug Collins was a good coach for Michael Jordan because he was competitive, and he really fed into Jordan's competitive nature. But then they fired Doug Collins. Maybe this looks, maybe this makes Jerry Krause look better. Once again, they fired him. They got Phil Jackson. They uh, win more games. They get, like, the third seed in the playoffs. I don't know. Philly got good, too, and they were second seed, but the Bulls killed them. I don't know how they won a game in Philly, by the way, because I was looking at all those box scores, and they had a tough time winning in Philly. But in the playoffs, it was no problem, <laughs> apparently. They only lost one game if it was 2-1 and one in Philly. Anyway, they uh, beat them. Even though Charles went off, they beat them, and they played the Pistons again, and it kind of reminded me of Pacers-Bulls, 98, Pacers-Cavs, 2018. Everyone won a game on their home floor, or it reminds me of Wizards-Celtics, 2017. The home team won every game, and I just looked at, and I just looked at the box scores, and I'm just like, man. The Bulls got choked out on the road. They scored 77 and I think 74 in Detroit. Two out of the four games in Detroit, they scored less than 80 points. And it was mostly because the role players didn't show up. They didn't show up. Jordan showed up, kind of. And even Jordan was held slightly below his average on the road. And, you know, but in Chicago, all those guys came alive. Especially Scottie Pippen. Weird series. But you know, the Bulls lost in seven. And I'll, I'll just talk more about that series later. If you've seen the Rodman documentary, you kind of know the gist of who he is and what his life has been like. Um, I love the Carmen Electra story. I love the Madonna story. I definitely love the Carmen Electra story. That was crazy. And it just reminded everyone that Carmen Electra was bad back then and bad after that and then bad now. Like, she's just bad. <laughs> like, the, the documentary made us realize that. And then also, we got to see a young Phil Jackson. He got the coach in Puerto Rico. And I thought they only wowed out like that for soccer. Apparently not. Apparently not. Yes, yeah, crazy, man. Apparently not. Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson had a nice bond. Phil Jackson let Dennis Rodman be him. And Chuck Daly did the same thing, let Dennis Rodman be him. When he went other places, he drove the coaches nuts, and he was out of there quick. Those guys got it, and that's why they won titles. That's why they won titles. But he went on vacation. He went on vacation in the middle of the 98 season. He's like, I'm going to go to Vegas. And Phil's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and Jordan had to drag him out of bed with Karma Electra. It was, it was a nice story. 
it was a nice story. Yeah, and I like the bond that Phil and Dennis had. I just I just love it. Now they also they flash back to the 90, 89, 90, 91 series. They back to that. And um, after they lost in 1990, after they lost in 1990, these guys, the Bulls didn't go on vacation. They worked out more. They got in the gym. They worked out. Yeah, they cried on the bus. The pain drove them to want to be better and to come out firing. And of course, they were number one seed. They were number one seed in the playoffs. They did great. They did great. The small changes. And, you know, Phil Jackson had his triangle. And I guess Tim Grover was a big part in, in making Jordan stronger, especially for the Pistons. And it's the psychological difference, too. The psychological differences. Like, they were mentally stronger. And that came into, that came into play against the Pistons. Whenever they got fouled, whenever they got hit, whenever things, whenever they faced adversity, they just kept on pushing. They kept doing their thing. They didn't let it get to them like they did in previous series versus the Pistons, and that's what helped them. That's what helped them. That working out harder and being mentally stronger and physically stronger and coming together as a team and Jordan having a lower usage rate and Pippen and Grant having a higher usage rate that helped them that helped them win and be a more dominant team and that's what you gotta do you wanna be great man like you gotta keep getting better you gotta keep making small changes you gotta keep if you wanna be like 1% better than the rest like keep being 1% better every day 1% better or way better every year then boom boy you got it. You got it. I think at the end. Oh, I like how like Dennis Rodman had that flagrant foul on Scotty, and Scotty was just like, he just brushed it off. It was no fights, no nothing. He just brushed it off, and they just they went to blowing him out. Okay, well the first three games were competitive. The very last game, the Bulls destroyed them, and then that's when. Wow, Stephanie McMahon is hot. Anyway, that's when when they talked about the little Pistons handshake gate thing. Of course, they were saying, oh, we did what the Celtics did. And they had times like, we don't like how we were disrespected as champions. <laughs> Dennis Rodman kept his short and sweet. He was like, man, fuck these guys. They weren't that. Like, we don't, we don't like them. Thanks for beating us. Bye. And then uh, Bill Lambeer was like, yeah, he didn't like, he, it was similar to Isaiah, he was like, we don't like how they personalized it and made us out to be bad people when we're just playing basketball. I kind of see what he mean, but the facts still remain. They play a little physical, too physical at times, and they didn't like it. No one did that. What the Bulls say is pretty much what the rest of the league was saying about the Pistons. So, it's just them. We'll always, people always go back and forth about the Pistons wanting respect and the Bulls 
just not being great without going through the Pistons. I just like how they got the Bulls got better every year with Jordan and, and Collins and Phil and then the offense and, and training harder and being mentally stronger. I just interested in the changes and the process it took for them to get to that ninety one point. And the celebration after the ninety one finals was epic. It made me want to celebrate, and I had no part of that championship. I wasn't even alive. <laughs> Just you felt that. The process and then the celebration. It's like they were in heaven. It was like a little slice of heaven. They were just going crazy. And you had Jerry Krause dancing, which <laughs> it kind of made Jerry Krause look a little better in this. It was, a, it was some good times, for sure. And I like how uh, Jordan trusted Paxson a little bit more during those last three years. Just his teammates in general. Everyone had a higher usage rate. Everyone had more points and stuff. And Jordan still got his. You got to love it. You got to love it, for sure. But, you know, I'm looking forward to five and six. Maybe they'll finally get to the later part of the season. And then maybe they'll finally, they'll eventually get to the playoffs. And then, of course, the last two episodes will probably be about their little series with the Jazz at the end. And, of course, it's going to end with the last shot. I'm pretty sure that's how it's going to turn out for sure. Which brings me to my hypothetical game of the week. The hypothetical game of the week. Da-da. Bulls versus Pistons. Game 7, 1990. This time with Paxson and Pippen playing. This time with Paxson and Pippen playing. Now, the Pistons in 1990 only lost six games at home. They lost like 23 games. Only six of them came at home. They lost the rest of their games on the road. Some of their road losses head scratching, but we're not going to worry about that. At home, they were virtually unbeatable. At home, I think they only lost one time at home in the playoffs, and that was against the Knicks, I think. And nevertheless, they only lost six times at home the entire season. So they were pretty much unbeatable. That series, they at that point, they won all three games at home. The Bulls just, just forced it to seven after winning by 18 in Chicago. Uh... Craig Hodges had 19 off the bench. But this time, game seven, I don't know what happened to Paxson, but he got hurt. Craig Hodges is starting. Why not? He just scored 19. Probably should start at BJ Armstrong, but after a performance like that, why not? Craig Hodges and BJ Armstrong were awful that game, and what happened was they lost by 19. Scottie Pippen had a migraine, and he played but it felt like he didn't he played 40 minutes the documentary made it seem like he didn't play at all it's pretty much like he didn't play at all he was like 0 for 1 two points in 40 minutes but with that being said i have the pistons winning 99 95 sure they score more points sure Sure, they score more points. Sure, the pace of the game increases. But at the end of the day, okay, Pippen's playing in this game, but no migraine. No migraine Pippen. Of course, I assume he scores about 10, 15 more points. 
And then Paxson, well, he didn't score that much in this series anyway. I think he averaged like five in this series. But it it adds depth. It adds depth. And maybe Craig Hodges and B.J. Armstrong have a better game because they're playing less minutes. And they're more efficient if they play less minutes. So there you go. 99-95 Pistons. Game 7 with uh, with Pippen fully healthy and with John Paxson fully healthy. I got the Pistons still winning because at the end of the day, um, too much Isaiah Thomas, too much John Sally coming off the bench. Just too much defense and they just knew what they would just, you just need to be 1% better. Just like James Clear said. You just need to be 1% better. And what would make them 1% better in that situation is they had the mental edge over Chicago, especially in Detroit. I really want to sit here and say the Bulls would win with a healthy Scottie Pippen, but I don't think so. I would love to see them against the Blazers two years earlier, but maybe it was best that they missed the finals and work harder that offseason. There you go. There you go. I wish the Sixers would have played the Pistons in the second round instead of the Knicks because, and you know, Pistons, Knicks, and, okay, Pistons, Sixers, and Bulls, Knicks probably would have been more fun series. Especially Pistons, Sixers, because at the end of that season, they had an epic brawl. So I would have loved to see them go at it again. I would love to see Barkley and Lambeer go toe-to-toe. I would have loved to see that. That would have been awesome. <laughs> they would have been, oh, man. Someone would have got ejected or something. After that fight they had, just imagine a seven-game series with them two. That would have been sick. That would have been crazy. I would have loved to see it. But it ain't happened. It didn't happen. But we got YouTube to see that fight. Anyway. And I don't think the Blazers would have beat the Bulls or the Pistons, by the way. Anyway. So Twitter got me thinking. Someone tweeted about the worst OU loss that you've seen in person. I immediately said 2014 Baylor. But then I was like, okay, maybe... 2014 Bedlam. But then someone mentioned 2019 LSU, which was the last Sooner game I went to, and it was a complete embarrassment. I just, I felt embarrassed to be a Sooner fan after that. I still rolled with my team, but it was tough, man. We looked bad. Everyone just had something to say, especially from the SEC. Everyone made us to be made us out to be this joke but after LSU demolished Clemson which I knew they were going to beat them I didn't know they were going to beat them by 17 but I knew they was going to beat them I realized that there is no shame in losing to one of the best teams ever like one of the best teams ever would make a really solid team from that same season look mediocre and that's what they did to OU, I'm just saying. That's what happened with Nebraska against Miami in 2001. They were a really good team, 
they had a slip up just like OU and then they got in the championship and got their doors blown off. Same thing. Same thing with this OU team. Same thing. So that comes in third. 2014 Baylor and 2014 Bedlam. I'll put Baylor ahead of Bedlam because that was the only home game where OU got annihilated. I don't count the Notre Dame game because in the fourth quarter, that was a 10-10 game. With eight minutes to go, it's a 13-10 game. We had a great chance to win that game. And plus, you know, Notre Dame that season had God on their side until the new year, and they had to play Alabama, and their time was up. Now, I don't count that. But that was the only OU game because I had been to 36 home games in a row. My entire time at OU, I went to all 36 home games. That was the only game where I was like, damn, we look completely outmatched. We are completely outmatched. My soul left my body. Like, if Baylor didn't choke against TCU, they would have been in a national championship. No, they would have been in the playoffs instead of Ohio State. They would have. Or if Ohio State didn't completely demolish Wisconsin, but whatever. They earned their spot. They earned their title, whatever. They still, if they were undefeated, they would have they would have kept Ohio State out. I don't care what happened in, in that game against Wisconsin. If Baylor is undefeated, they're going to the semifinals. They would have lost, but it would have been cool to see them there, I guess. Um, but yeah, that, that game, my soul left my body and then, and to make it worse, I almost fought with someone in the student section. Cause I was just frustrated. I was like, why can't we stop this curl route? Why can't we stop these short passes? They're running the same thing and we can't stop it. And someone said behind me, they were like, oh, it don't matter if they keep running the same play. We can't stop it in sarcasm. He, I guess he was just tired of hearing me. And I was frustrated in that point. I wanted to sock the dude, but I restrained. And I just kept watching. And I was just in another dimension. I couldn't believe what was happening. And that was the worst feeling. Now, Bedlam was bad because my uncle came from Boston to experience an OU game, he had become invested in OU football just because I was there. And he, man, he still loved this experience. He left at halftime because he wasn't about that life, about standing for the whole game with the student section. He wasn't about that life. You know, it still was embarrassing, man. It was, it was embarrassing. Those, what those three games have in common, they were all very embarrassing. The reason why I didn't really say the Rose Bowl like everybody else, yeah, sure, I believe that was the best OU team of the decade, sure. But Georgia choking in the next game made up, kind of made up for us losing the game before. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I was like, <laughs> how, uh... Uh, Davin Bellamy said humble yourself and then we just threw it back at him like humble yourself <laughs> no you humble yourself and boy did he get humbled by Tua Tagovailoa 
and I just I just loved it. That was an instant classic. So I can't really be that mad at losing that game because of what happened next. And I don't want to say the Kansas State game like my friends mentioned from 2014 because, yeah, sure, I was kind of hype about that game. Sure, we, we should have won and we let that slip away. But those other two losses hurt much more than the Kansas State loss. I'm just saying, the Iowa State loss, I didn't, I didn't even watch that game. I didn't watch that game. I watched the highlights. I was at a Howard game. I didn't watch the Iowa State game. So that doesn't hurt. Someone mentioned that. I throw an honorable mention in there. 2013, Texas versus OU. That was the first OU-Texas loss I'd ever experienced as a fan slash student. And it hurt. It felt bad. I was like, so this is what losing to Texas feels like. And it felt awful. And then, of course, two years later, it was the first time I experienced OU losing to Texas in person. That hurt even more. But 2018, I'm not mad about because we I knew we were going to play them in the Big 12 championship, and I knew we were going to beat them. So I was actually encouraged that we lost because I knew we was going to come back and beat them. And we sure did. We should. We did exactly that. And I was elated. I was elated. It, it made losing at the Cotton Bowl meaningless. And we came back the next year and won again. So losing that game in the Cotton Bowl 2018 is fine. It is what it is. Well, this episode has gone longer than I thought. It don't matter. I had fun. Just know that I'm out. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Goat Level Podcast. Make sure you share, subscribe, and get money.